How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Can you say amen? amen. God is good, is he not? Today is my 37th birthday. Praise the Lord. And I can honestly say that I'm more grateful to God today than I have ever been in my entire life. If there is one burgeoning revelation that has been unfolding in my life this year, is that God is gooder than I thought he was. It's that I got so much more to be thankful for than I knew that I had to be thankful for. And so often we're so busy looking forward and anticipating and becoming ambitious and wanting more that we forget how to be thankful for what we've got right now, today. And so I just want to say today that I'm thankful to God uh, that he has blessed me tremendously, 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 and I can't say enough. And so praise the Lord. All right, now it's time to get into the word of the Lord this morning. And as we turn our attention to the word of God, I want to remind you, and I don't need to remind most of you, most of you already know that um, I threw a curveball at you the Sunday before last because we were in the midst of a three-part series on the book of Nehemiah, and the three-part series was called Running to Win. When we were talking about running to win, that series, that three-part series was intended to cover the three components of the mindset of a champion. The first component of the mindset of a champion was a vision for victory. And we talked about how Nehemiah, when he got word the walls of Jerusalem had been broken down and their gates had been burned, the first thing he did was pray and mourn and weep and then get up from his prayer and get a vision for victory. And once he got a vision for victory, it was time to act. But then in the second message, we talked about the second component, which is an evaluation of the present. You need not only a vision for victory, but you need an accurate evaluation of the right now. How many know that there's a difference between your core values and your aspirational values? You see, there's a lot of people that value a lot of things that they don't actually value. <laughs> you can value things that you don't really value. You know what I'm talking about? That, that co-worker who's always late, but yet they'll tell you that they value promptness. You know what I'm talking about? Because oh, you are that co-worker. That's why. Oh. <laughs> oh, come on, somebody. You ever hear somebody say that? Oh, I just value being prompt. Being on time is so important to me. But yet you are always late. Well, that's okay. That's an aspirational value. It's not your core values are who you already are, what you already value, what you already live out, what you already do. Okay? But your aspirational values are what you're reaching for, and we need both. We've got to have some aspirational values because none of us are perfect. None of us actually value everything that we value. Some stuff I want to value that I don't yet value, but I'm trying to learn how to value it with my actions and not just with my words. And so when we're talking about an accurate assessment of the present, we're talking about the way things are right now, not the way we want them to be, but the way things are. And you've got to get an accurate evaluation of the present if you are going to overcome. Now, I was supposed to give you that third component, which is a workable plan, the week before last, two weeks ago today. Uh, but I got distracted by uh, John MacArthur and the Strange Fire Conference, and so I preached a message on cessationism and the, uh, the, strange, the message of the Strange Fire Conference. Really, I was talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, how they are today, and giving you a, a biblical foundation for understanding that. I actually have a lot more to say about that in the days to come because I think it's a very, very important uh, truth for us to understand as we move forward as believers in Jesus Christ. But uh, that was a hiatus that I felt was necessary at the time. I felt it was timely at the time. But now I have the predicament of moving on to the next part of the series today, 
while closing out the last part of the series and not leaving you hanging. Don't you hate when somebody leaves you hanging? I tend to do that. You know, I say, there's three things you need to realize. Number one is this. Number two is this. And, oh, by the way, did you see about the, you know, and people ask me after the service, what was number three? And so I don't want to leave you hanging. Yeah, David's the one who always comes to me. You said four things. You only gave us three. Come on. You're killing me. I can't sleep at night. I'm trying to remember. So I want to give you the end of that series and the beginning of the next series all all together in one message. Okay? So this message is going to be on a workable plan. Moving forward with your physical one thing, you need a workable plan. And when we're talking about your physical one thing as with our spiritual one thing, we're not talking about a temporary 90-day process that's over when it's over. We're talking about developing lifelong habits. And some of us have struggled and stumbled our way through the first 60 days of this thing. If you're anything like me, you have uh, messed up over the last 60 days. Come on, can I get a witness? We just got back from our vacation. And you know what vacation is? Vacation is, a, is an excuse for gluttony. It's the fountain gate, you know, you're, you're rejoicing. Man, all kind of barbecue and ice cream came through my fountain gate in the last week. So y'all got to pray my strength in the Lord. But I'm getting back up today. I'm telling you, church, I'm turning it around. <laughs> Late in the midnight hour, <laughs> God's going to turn it around. So as we begin this message, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 17, and we're going to move this thing forward and see what happens. This is right after he spent the night assessing the damage, evaluating the present condition. And what he found was that the valley gate had been destroyed. What he found was that the fountain gate had been destroyed. What he found was that the high place had been destroyed and the low place had been destroyed and everything in between had been destroyed. It was complete and total damage and there was piles of rubble everywhere. Now he's assessed the damage and now it's time for him to muster the elders of Israel. And we're in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17. After finishing in verse 16, he he, he calls together the elders. He hadn't told anybody, but he had just finished his assessment. In verse 17, then I said to them, this is the elders of Israel that he's talking to, you see the distress that we're in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. He says, you see how much trouble we're in. You see how bad the situation is. You see how much weight we still need to lose. You see how many illnesses and sicknesses we still need to overcome. You see how many medications that we're on to this day. You see that that things didn't heal right after our surgery was done. You see the distress that we're in. You see the trouble we're in. You see it, right? You see it, right? I say, yeah, we see it. And Nehemiah is not saying you see Because he doesn't think they see. He's saying you see because he knows they see. And he wants them to see see that he sees as well. And the first thing that God wants you to know is that he sees what you see. Because it's so hard for us to believe sometimes that God sees. God, do you see this? Do you see this mess I'm going through? Do you see this problem I'm having? Do you see this trial I'm walking through? Can you see it? And God says, I see it. Remember when God came to Moses in the burning bush, what was the first thing he said? He said, 
I am Yahweh God who brought your ancestors out of Egypt. I, I, I am Yahweh God. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he says, I have seen, I have seen the oppression of my people in, Israel, in Egypt. I have heard their groans, and I've come down to rescue them. God wants you to know that he sees, that he knows the situation you're in. But God also wants you to know that the situation you're walking through might have discouraged you, but it's not big enough to discourage God. It might have been big enough to shut you down and cause you to feel hopeless about it, but nothing can make God feel hopeless. It might have caused your faith to run out the door. It might have caused your expectation of victory to go hide under a couch, but I'm telling you that it hasn't shaken God's heart, not for one moment, because there is no mountain so high that he can't climb it, and there is no valley so deep that he can't go down down onto the inside of it. I'm telling you that there's nothing too difficult for the Lord. Amen. And so he says, you see the distress we're in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. And then he says this, come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. He says, come, let's build. And at that moment, I might stop and ask, why didn't the elders of Israel do anything about it before now? Why did they need this man to come all the way from the other side of the kingdom to tell them, let's get to work and do something? You ever look at somebody's life and see how broken down and in shambles it is, and you just want to sit him down and say, let's do something about this, shall we? You ever wonder, why isn't he doing something about this? You see somebody who's in financial trouble, and you say, well, let's do something about it. And they're waiting. you think they're waiting for somebody to bring some money into their life. No, you just need to learn how to, I'm going to bring a budget into your life. How's that? I'm going to bring some restraint into your life. Just do something about it. Let's change the situation. Quit sitting here. Get another, another job if you have to. But let's not just sit here in the ruins. Let's get up and go to work and fix this thing. However, there was a good reason why the elders of Israel hadn't started the work without Nehemiah. There were some things that Nehemiah had that they didn't have. So he says, number one, we're in trouble. Number two, it's time to go to work. But number three, verse 18, he says, I told them of the hand of my God, which had been upon me. He says, before you say a word, because I I know it's getting ready to happen. Y'all are getting ready to say, but I've tried 61 different diets and I still can't lose any weight. I've gone to 58 different doctors and none of them can figure out what's wrong with me. I've tried. I've tried this and I've tried that and I just don't have any self-discipline. He knew that they were getting ready to say like the man at the pools of Bethesda said to Jesus, I've got no one to help me into the water. Whenever the waters are stirred, everybody gets in before me. He knew they were getting ready to give him a, a sob story. I got nobody. Nobody helps me. Nobody, you don't know how bad it's been for me and you don't know what my mama did to me when I was in the third grade. You don't know what my dad, you don't know how broken I am. You don't know. You don't know. Nobody understands. He says, before you give me your sob story about why you can't, let me give you my victory story about why we can. 
He says, so I told him about the hand of my God upon my life. I told him about how God had been gracious to me. And what is he telling them? He's telling them about how he was the cupbearer to the king. And how when he heard the story of how the walls of Jerusalem had been broken down and their gates burned with fire, that he put on sackcloth and ashes and he wept and mourned before the Lord. And then he got up and got some encouragement in him and realized, I've got access to the king and I know it could cost me my life, but I'm going to go into the presence of the king and I'm going to ask for help. Listen, have you ever stopped to think maybe if you would just go into the presence of the king and ask for help, something could change in your life? Have you ever stopped to think that maybe the reason nothing's changing is because you're trying to change everything yourself? You're trying to take responsibility for that which only God can change. And he tells them how he goes into the presence of the king. And all he needed was a sad face to get the king's attention. Because that was enough to get him killed. Not killed. Killed. And he tells them how he asked the king for permission to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And when he asked for permission, the king says, sure, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. And he's, yeah, thanks. Thanks, king. I'll be, wait a minute. I need you to write me some letters. Because there's some people out there that don't want to see us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And if I don't have letters from you, somebody's going to kill me on the way. So would you please write some letters to the rulers of the trans-Euphrates region and give us, so that they'll give us safe passage and they won't kill us? And the king goes, sure, no problem. He calls in the scribe and he has some letters written. He seals it with his imperial imprint and gives Nehemiah the letters. And Nehemiah's going, great, I've got the signet ring. I've got the seal of the king. Nobody can touch me now. If anybody touches me, they're touching the king. I've got safety. I not only got permission, but I've got authority now. God wants to move you beyond permission into the realm of authority. See, some of you know you've got permission to pursue your destiny, but you don't know you got authority to do it. Some of you know you got permission to grow, but you don't know you got authority to do it. You know you got permission to come against the stuff the devil's tried to do to your body, but you don't know you got authority to do it. Nehemiah said, I'm not leaving without authority. I'm not just here for permission, king. I'm here for authority. And the king gave him authority. And he takes the authority. He says, thanks so much, king. This is all I need. Wait, 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 wait. When I get there, what am I build the walls with? He says, write me another letter if you would. I mean, at the first question could have got him killed. He's asking two more questions. He says, write me another letter to, to that homie Asaph. He's the keeper of the royal forest. Write him a letter and tell him to give me as much lumber as I need. Tell him to give me the materials. And the king said, no problem. And he had the scribe dictate the letter, put his imperial signet stamp on it, says, now you've got the authority to go, but you also have the resources for the building. You've got the materials for the building. Nehemiah is standing before the elders of Israel. He says, I got permission from the king. And everybody says, whoopee. He says, I got authority from the king. And everybody says, yeah. And he says, and one more thing. Whoop, there it is. He points to the right and all this lumber comes in. He says, I got all of the materials we need for the building. Today, I want to talk to you about materials for the building. 
When you look at someone whose life is in shambles and you wonder why they don't pick themselves up and fix themselves and brush themselves off and, and get out of the situation, to you it just looks so easy. Why don't you just do the following five things and you wouldn't be in the trouble that you're in? It's so easy to judge. But instead of judging, why don't you go sit down with them and bring them the materials for the building? See, sometimes all somebody needs is a Nehemiah to come. And say, I've seen the situation you're in, but I'm here to tell you that I've got some authority and I've got some materials and I'm here to empower you to get up and change this thing. You don't have to be in this situation for another day. And when Nehemiah got finished telling them about his permission, about his authority and about his materials, the elders of Israel said, let us rise and build. And then they set their hands to this good work. It's time for us to set our hands to this good work. I'm here to tell you that God is giving us the materials for the building. He's giving us the materials for the building. Now, the thing that was interesting to me is when you get to Nehemiah chapter 3, it talks about all of these cats that were building the house of the Lord at the same time. They're building, the, they're building the gate at the same time. And if you look at Nehemiah chapter 3, it gives you the breakdown of who was doing what. What Nehemiah did was he broke them into families, into clans, and then gave the different clans different sections. Your fam- I'm talking about your clan is like your family, your mama, your dad, your brothers, your sisters, and their kids, and your kids. All of you guys are a clan, right? So we take one clan and say, the Pack family, you guys, you got this section over here. You know what I'm saying? And the Alvarengas, y'all got like four or five sections over here, you know? <laughs> you know? Right? The Perezes, y'all got a section over here. And, and, You know, I mean, he just calls out these families. You each got a section. You got a section. And every family had their section. The Venables had a section. And the Davises had a section. And every every family in the house got a section of the wall to build. Now, when you think about it, don't you think that's going to be the ugliest wall you've ever seen? I mean, because, like, um, you know, the pack, you know, section over here, it's going to be like bronze or gold or something, right? And then the Alvarenga section over here is going to be like pink. You know, because Bethany and Charity got in there and, you know, started painting it. Right? You know? The Davis section over here is going to have like, it's going to be like a, a, a daishiki ornament over it, you know? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And the, the Perez section over here will have like one extra like sliver of wood over the top of it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> some of y'all got that, others you didn't. But it all looked the same at the end of it. Look at this in, in, uh, in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1. Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brother and the priests and built the sheep gate. They consecrated and hung its doors. They built as far as the Tower of the Hundred. Verse 2, next to Eliashib, the men of Jericho built. Verse 3, also the sons of Hasanaah built the fish gate. Verse 4, next to them, Merimoth, the son of Urijah, the son of Koz, made returns, made repairs. Next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezalib. You know, they, they did it. All chapter 3 says, and next to them, 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 until you get all the way around the wall. And next to them, and next to them, they're all building at the same time, and it all looks the same in the end. You know why? Because they're all using the same materials. 
Now, here's the thing you need to understand. This one thing's process is two years long. And we're covering eight different areas of your life. We talked about it. It starts with your spiritual life. We spent the whole summer, June, July, August, talking about your spiritual life and growing in your spiritual one thing. And then now we're on the physical, and then we're going to the financial, and then the family, and then we're going to fellowship, and then we're going to service, and then we're going to your vocation, your career, and then we're going to your mission. And we talked about how New Year's resolutions always fail. Why do they always fail? For a number of reasons. First is because you tend to pick too many of them. I got 17 New Year's resolutions this year. And all of them require like major life changes. I'm going to lose 27 pounds. I'm going to gain 15 more friends. I'm going to reconnect with 28 family members I haven't spoken to in 27 years. I'm going to fix my relationship with my brother. You know what I mean? It's like you name all 17 of these major things. I'm going to learn a foreign language. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like I'm going to get a new job. I'm going to get a new degree, you know. And, and, and so it always fails. And so we talked about how you need to pick one thing. That's why this process is called one things. Because you only pick one thing at a time. But the thing that I want you to understand today is that all eight of these areas of your life are connected. You can't fix one of them without fixing all of them. Why? Because the same materials that go into building one of them build all the rest of them as well. Think about it. If you really focus on improving your spiritual life, all of a sudden you got more energy and you find you want to go to the gym. If you really start going to the gym and getting in shape, all of a sudden you have more energy and you want to go out with your wife instead of saying you're tired, you just want to go home and sleep. And all of a sudden your relationships are better. But if you're going to go out with your wife, you need to save more money during the week and so your finances are going to get better. You hearing what I'm saying? It's all connected. It's all connected. But you must understand what the materials are. Because the materials are not necessarily what you think they are. This is the problem. Most Christians have compartmentalized their spiritual life from the rest of their life. So the word of God and prayer and worship, all that stuff is good for my spiritual life. It's good for my church time and my prayer time, and my quiet time, QT, you know what QT is, quiet time, you know, some of y'all need some LT, some loud time, you ever set aside loud time just to shout before the Lord, just to shout to the Lord, you need loud time, go into a closet, just start screaming at the Lord, you know, you need both, quiet time and loud time. But what you don't realize is that the same building blocks that build your spiritual life build the other areas of your life as well. It's all spiritual. Here's your building blocks. Here's your materials. Three materials, really. Number one, the Word of God. Number two, the worship of the Lord. And number three, the fellowship of the beloved, of the the saints. The Word of God the worship of the Lord, and the fellowship of the saints. There goes your materials right there. And actually, those three materials are embedded right into our mission statement, aren't they? What is our mission statement? Everybody here knows it. Just say it with me together all at once. (laughs) To provide the most powerful encounter with God imaginable through word, worship, and fellowship 
for people from all walks of life. Say it again. To provide the most powerful encounter with God imaginable (laughs) through word, worship, and fellowship for people from all walks of life. That's all we do here. That's all we do. We provide the most powerful encounter with God imaginable through word, worship, and fellowship. The trick is, if you don't want nothing to do with word, worship, and fellowship, we can't get you into the presence of God. It's, well, I came there. I didn't have a powerful encounter with God. Did you worship? No. Well, there you go. (laughs) Word, worship, and fellowship are the materials that will build not only your spiritual life, but they will build every other aspect of your life. It's not just your spirit that responds to the word of God. Do you know your body responds to the word of God? It's not just your soul that responds to worship. Do you know that worship can affect your finances? Do you know that work, did you know that the word of God and prayer can build your relationships? See, the problem is we don't take these things into worship. In worship, all we do is is just have this ethereal time. I worship you. I worship you. You need to get into your prayer closet and talk to God about the stuff of your life. Talk to him. If you need to lose some weight, talk to him about those pounds every day. If you got sickness, talk to him about that sickness every day. If you got a family situation, talk to him about that that family situation every day. The same thing that builds your spiritual life builds every other component of your life. Why? Because the earth, see, we think there's a dichotomy between the natural and the spiritual. Let me ask you a question. What created the natural? The spiritual. God said, let there be light. And the natural world came out of his mouth, came out of his word. He created it by the word of his mouth. And so the earth itself responded to God's command by coming into being. You think it won't respond to God's command anymore? Everything responds to the word of God. And specifically when we're talking about the physical body. Because we tend to think that what the physical body needs is food. And what the soul needs is God. I want to draw your attention to a couple of passages of scripture. First of all, I looked, one of my favorite verses of scripture is Isaiah chapter 50 verse 4. And I I like it in the NKJV. It says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. The Lord has given me the tongue of the learned that I might know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. Listen to it in the NIV. It says, the sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. Did you know that your body can be sustained with a word? Listen to it in the ESV. Ooh, this this is going to bless you right here. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. That I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. The Lord can sustain you with a word. I'm talking about nothing changes and God gives you a word. I was talking to to somebody this morning. They were saying they had migraine. They used to get these migraine headaches that were so bad that they would last. The the longest one lasted 24 days. And then it lifted for two days and came back for another 10 days. 
And her and her family would be crying out to God for days for God to heal her of these migraine headaches. And she said one day in the middle of the, one of the worst migraines she had, she was laying in her bed and she opened her eyes and the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to her at the foot of her bed. And he simply looked at her and said, my grace is sufficient for you. And then he vanished. She thought he was coming to heal her of the headache, but he didn't. He came to give her the word that would sustain her. Let me tell you something. We, we so often think what we need is for our situation to change. You don't need your situation to change. You just need a word. Because even if your situation changes, if, if you don't have a word, you ain't got nothing. But if your situation doesn't change and you do have a word, you got everything. If you've got a word, you got the power that brought this world into existence. If you got a word, you got the power to shake the cedars of Lebanon. You got, a, you got the power to break stones like a hammer. You got the fire of God. If you got a word from God, that's all that you need. Now, there is this tension, this bodily tension that we experience between food and word. And there's this constant temptation that we must fight as human beings. The temptation is to depend on food for our sustenance rather than God. And it was the fundamental temptation that brought down Adam and Eve in the garden. Because the original sin was not sexual. The moment you start talking about people in sin, when I say somebody in here is living in sin, what's the first thing you think? They're having sex with somebody. <laughs> I'm looking around to see if conviction's on anybody's face. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. The Lord knows. Talk to my wife about it because I ain't got time for that. When Satan came to tempt Adam and Eve, when Satan came to tempt Eve to commit the sin that would bring down the entire human race, he didn't dangle another man in front of her. He dangled an apple or whatever that fruit was. I know it doesn't say it's an apple, but in all the pictures, it's an apple. So it's an apple with a piece of fruit. He brought down the entire human race with a piece of fruit. You ever think about that? It was fruit. When Jacob went to rob Esau of his birthright, what did he use? A knife? I'm going to cut your throat. Give me your birthright or I'll kill you. A bowl of soup. Campbell's. Got some of this tomato soup, Esau. Oh, that smells good. Oh, yeah, your birthright smells good. <laughs> Took down his future and his destiny with a bowl of soup. It's food. At that moment, food was more important than his future. And so Jesus in Luke 4 goes into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he came with the first temptation, what was it? Was it a temptation to sin sexually? He was a grown man, 30-something years old, never had a woman. 
He didn't bring a computer screen out there and put a pop-up on it, click this. He said, he brought some rocks, some stones. He said, devil, what you bring them stones for? I think you should turn these stones to bread. Why should I turn these stones to bread? Because I know you're hungry. I know you're hungry. Come on. You're hungry. You look hungry. Look at you. You lost all kind of weight. You know you want some bread. Turn these stones to bread. Translation. Your father left you out here to die. He's not going to provide for you. If you're going to get it, you're going to have to get your own. You're going to have to make a way for yourself. If you don't take care of yourself, ain't nobody going to take care of you. If you don't provide for yourself, nobody's going to provide for you. Look at you out here. Get your own. You know what he was trying to do? He was trying to shift Jesus out of the realm of gratitude and into the realm of gratification. Out of the realm of gratefulness and into the realm of entitlement. You know what he was saying? You deserve some biscuits. You've worked hard for the Lord. Now make you some biscuits. See, I know something about feeling entitled to get me a biscuit. Because, see, my grandmother would make a pan of biscuits and sit them on the table. And when they were gone, they were gone. I mean, that was it. And so you had to get them while the getting was good. And I had my two brothers and my three cousins, all six of us would be over there. And, you know, we had to share one pan of biscuits. So I became a professional at acquiring mass numbers of biscuits Buttering them, buttering them and dressing them with maple syrup and then consuming them in a moment before I would grab some more. And I would grab two in each hand. And while I was grabbing two with this hand, I was eating the two with this hand. And what I learned about food was that I've got to become greedy if I'm going to get my fill. Now, we need to understand what greed is because we all think greed is about money. See, y'all think only rich people can be greedy. Greed doesn't have anything to do with money. You can, become, you can be flat broke and be greedy. So let me tell you how to know if you're greedy or not. If you are grateful, you are not greedy. But if you are greedy, you are not grateful. Are you thankful for what you have? If not, you're greedy. The moment gratefulness leaves your heart, the moment thankfulness leaves your heart, and it's so important for us that we're talking about this in the month of November. Isn't it a trip that the Lord made sure that our physical one thing happened in the month of Thanksgiving? Because if you're anything like me, the most annoying moment of Thanksgiving Day, the most annoying moment of Thanksgiving Day is when my father says, let's all take hands and pray. Now, don't get me wrong. I love a good prayer like, like the next person. I love prayer. 
I pray by myself. But over food, if you've ever eaten with me, here is my prayer for food. Thank you, Lord. Let's eat. Because it's time to eat, not time to pray. But on Thanksgiving Day, my father, every year, he calls everybody in. Everyone come in, take hands. We all take hands. Then he has to have words. I'm so thankful for all of my family today. My beautiful wife. All of my sons and my daughter. And my son's wives. My grandchildren. Before we pray, let us sing doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Meanwhile, I'm looking over at that table and I see turkey and stuffing and it's calling me. And then he's, then he, then he's got to pray and he's got to pray for each one of us. Lord, I thank you for my eldest son, Benjamin, for his beautiful wife, Sonny. And for their daughter, Alethea. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, I got two more brothers. Both of them are married. I got a sister. And my brother Josh has four kids. I just want to interrupt and say, in Jesus' name, amen. And isn't it interesting that on Thanksgiving Day, the most annoying part of it is the giving of thanks. You ever wonder why we pray over food? Did you ever ask that question? Why do we pray over food? We pray all these prayers. I've ever heard somebody pray that, Lord, cover it in the blood of Jesus. He didn't die for your food. <laughs> Lord, sanctify it. Is it in sin? <laughs> Make it a nourishment to my body. It's pancakes and syrup. That ain't going to be a nourishment to your body. Lord, bless this food. Bless, he ain't going to bless that. That pile of diabetes and cancer and heart disease. You know what the purpose of praying for your food is? To give thanks. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you. When was the last time you were ever truly thankful for the food that you ate. Because see, I thank God all the time for my wife and my baby and my church and my family and my friends for the beautiful home he's blessed. I thank God all the time for all kinds of stuff. But I just realized this week, the Lord showed me this week that I'm almost never thankful for food. Yeah, that's true. My wife just whispered, unless you're fasting. <laughs> and that's really what fasting does to you, doesn't it? When you're fasting and you think about food, you're thinking, Lord, if I could just eat a salad, it would be enough. <laughs> just one crust of bread would be more than I could ever ask for. One sip 
of a fine cola. <laughs> you know, when I'm fasting, I have dreams about eating. I do, and, and I'm terrified in the dreams because I think it's real. It happens every time I fast. I'm dreaming about eating. I'm thinking, no, I'm still fasting. No, this is wrong. And then I wake up and say, oh, thank the Lord. It was only a dream, but I'm only half thankful. The other half of me is devastated because I'm still hungry. Because, see, I'm, I'm talking this way because the last 60 days have been rough for me. And I cannot say that I've been, like, straight victorious. I've gained some weight. Somebody say, pray, just touch him, Lord. Stretch out your hands. And you know what? I've been crying out to God and asking him, can you help me understand what my problem is? Because every step forward I take, I take three steps back. And you know what the Lord said to me? You're not thankful. Food and thankfulness do not belong in the same category in your life. You are not grateful for your food. You feel entitled to your food. Because I found myself not eating for a few hours and then getting grouchy. And you know what grouchy is when you haven't eaten? It's entitlement. I find myself feeling sorry for myself if I hadn't eaten. I tell my wife, baby, I didn't get lunch today. I didn't even get lunch today. And she doesn't feel bad for me at all. She's like, so? I do that all the time. I'm like, no, but baby, I didn't get lunch. I was so busy today. I didn't get to eat lunch. She's like, you, you shouldn't have eaten breakfast either. You should skip dinner. No, no, she doesn't say that. But she definitely don't feel bad for me. But I feel bad for me. I feel deprived. Something I'm owed. Something I deserve. I, des- I work hard for my food. And how many times have I eaten and looked down on the plate and said, I wish I had something else. Even when I'm full, looking down on the plate, I wish I had room to eat something else. That's the opposite of thankfulness. The opposite of gratefulness is entitlement. And the second thing the Lord said to me was, first problem is you're not grateful. Second problem is that you've learned to depend on food and not the word of God. You didn't know the word of God could sustain your physical body. You thought it could only sustain your soul. But Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and he neither ate nor drank. First of all, do you realize that that's impossible? I mean, it's not humanly possible to go 40 days without drinking water. 40 days, no water, you're a dead man. How was he alive? What sustained him in the wilderness when food wasn't there to sustain him, when water wasn't there to sustain him, when there was nothing to take into his body that would keep him alive? What was keeping him alive? Keeping him alive. 
I'll tell you what was keeping him alive. He, this is what he said to the devil when the devil said, turn these stones to bread. I got Eve with food, and I'm going to get Jesus with food. And Jesus said, oh, no, devil, you're not getting me with food. I've learned a long time ago that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. See, the fact that I'm still standing here after 40 days and 40 nights is not just because my body is resilient. It's because I've been nourished by the word of God. In the absence of food, I've learned how to let the word nourish my stomach. I've learned how to let the word of God nourish the very cells of my physical body. I've learned in the desert that his word is not just for my soul it's for my body as well what we learn is how to depend upon the word of God for our survival and learn how to enjoy and appreciate everything else see we think that The opposite of entitlement is to despise something. No. Entitlement and enjoyment are not the same thing. If you feel entitled to it, you didn't really enjoy it. You don't actually enjoy something until you're grateful for it. You know what the Lord showed me? That when I'm constantly snacking... All day long, so I eat a meal, and then I snack, snack, snack. Then I eat a meal, then I snack, snack, snack. Then I eat a meal, then I snack, snack, snack. You know what I've done? I've robbed myself of the enjoyment of my food. See, when you're not hungry, you know how your stomach is like 30% full, and you still sit down to eat a meal? You know what happens when you sit down to eat that meal? You don't really enjoy it. You're eating it. It could be like the the best delicacy in the world, and you're eating it, and you're like, eh, eh. But when you haven't eaten and you're feeling that craving in your stomach and your stomach is empty and your body is feeling the pain and you sit down at the table, it could be just a normal old something, you know? You're like, is it just me or is this the best bowl of soup? My God, this salad is amazing. What you put in this salad? This has got to be a special salad dressing. My compliments to the chef. So he's not even a chef. He's a cook. Well, that cook is going to be a chef. I got a word for that cook. Gratefulness is the prerequisite of enjoyment. Did you get that? That one will set you free right there. Tweet that right now. Gratefulness is the prerequisite of enjoyment. You can't even really enjoy something that you're not grateful for. And too much of a good thing causes it to become familiar. And familiarity breeds contempt. Eh. Eh. So I'm going to learn how to depend upon the word of God. And I'm going to learn how to enjoy everything else. Everything else is a privilege, not a right. Everything else is a blessing, not a necessity. He gives me all things freely to enjoy. From now on, I'm going to enjoy my food. And I'm going to enjoy this lunch I'm getting ready to eat in a minute. You know why? Because I haven't eaten since early this morning. 
And I can feel the hunger pains in my stomach right now. But you know what that means? I've created space for gratefulness. You know, as we're approaching Thanksgiving this month, my challenge to you is make it about the Thanksgiving, not about the food. You see, so often we call it a Thanksgiving dinner, but actually we might as well throw out the the Thanksgiving and just call it a dinner because there's no Thanksgiving in it. And I also don't like when people say, you better eat that. There's people starving in Africa. Well, how will it help them if I eat it? I mean, if I eat this, will it help? And you can't send it to them either. You know what I think? I can come into a greater solidarity with people starving around the world by being thankful for what I eat. Thankfulness, not gluttony. So I better eat this. Why? Because people are starving in Africa. (laughs) Bring me another pie. There's people starving in Africa. (laughs) How about sometimes I limit what I eat? So you know what? There's people starving around the world that would be so grateful to eat an apple. My wife talks about being in Mozambique. Was it Mozambique or Sudan where they ate apples? In Sudan, these kids in an orphanage in Sudan, they, they they brought them apples one day. And she said they were eating apples like it was the greatest thing in the world, like they had never tasted anything like they were so blown away by an apple, stuff that we despise. Apple, no apple. Pizza, sandwich, apple. They brought them an apple, and to them it was the most glorious thing they'd ever put in their mouths. You know what that is? It's thankfulness. The day they got Skittles, took it to a whole other level. They only had a few Skittles. You know what they did with those Skittles? They put it in their mouth and taste it. Mm, and then they would take it out of their mouth and put it in their friend's mouth. You got to taste this. It's too good. And they were passing around Skittles from mouth to mouth so they all could taste each of the flavors. You know what that is when you got one Skittle but you're willing to share it with your friends? is thankfulness. 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 You and I need to learn how to thank God for what we've got. You say, I want to learn how to walk in the Spirit. Here's how you learn how to walk in the Spirit. Start thanking God. Start giving Him the glory. Start be Just make a decision to be grateful for what you've got. Stop complaining about stuff. Stop making excuses for stuff and just say, God, I thank you. We've been living in the realm of gratification for too long. Now we've got to come into the realm of gratefulness. We're going to build this wall. We're going to rebuild our physical bodies, but we're going to rebuild it with the word. We're going to rebuild it with the word of God. And the word of God is when the word of God becomes our primary source of sustenance. When we develop a dependency for the word of God, everything else in our lives come into order. And that's why I love fasting. Well, I have a love-hate relationship with it. But the thing it does for me is it temporarily breaks me of my food dependency. And it connects me to my God dependency. The Word of God. That is the material that's going to rebuild your gates and rebuild your walls. And restore the strength, life, and vitality of your physical body.
Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. I pray, Lord, that you would quicken our hearts and minds and bring us into the truth. Lord, anytime we're in any kind of bondage, it's always because of deception. Jesus, you said that we would know the truth and that the truth would set us free. Deception always brings us into bondage. But truth always brings us into freedom. So God, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus that you'd bring freedom to our hearts and minds by giving us a word. You've spoken to us today. I can feel your word settling in each heart and each mind. I can feel new faith, new expectation, and new joy. Strengthen now, God. Encourage now. Encourage, just like you encouraged the elders of Israel through Nehemiah. Look, we've got the authority. Look, we've got the materials. Now it's time to get up and build. Lord, I just released that word over the house today. Look, we've got the authority. Look, we've got the materials. Now it's time to build. And I don't care what it is that's happened in your life, what it is that's happened to your physical body, we've got the materials. We've got the authority. It's time to build. He's ready to strengthen the bars of your gates. He's ready to restore and renew, revive. It's time. It's your time. All we have to do is begin with thankfulness. God, I thank you. Would you just begin right now to give him thanks? Thank you, God. It is a good thing to give thanks to the Lord. It's good to give thanks to the Lord. Real thanksgiving. We're going to have the, for some of us, it's going to be our first real thanksgiving in our entire lives this year. And it's not going to be a day. It's not going to be a meal. It's going to become a lifestyle of giving thanks to God. When you sit down to eat your meal today, I want you to give thanks. Give thanks. Give thanks. I just speak the blessing of the Lord over you today. Strength and encouragement. Oh, yes. One more thing we got to do is we're going to celebrate what in the early church they called the Eucharist. The word Eucharist means giving of thanks. And you know what it was? It was a meal. And when you take it, you're going to look at this little tiny meal and say, this is a meal? Yeah, a little cracker and a little bit of juice. You know what sets this meal apart? This meal is not about the food. This meal is not about what's consumed. It's about the giving of thanks. It's about thanking God that this bread represents his body. It's about thanking God that this little bit of juice, it represents his blood. Come on in, ushers, and just begin to pass it out. And when you receive it, just hold on to it. We're going to all partake of it together this morning. But today, maybe for the first time, we're going to celebrate the Eucharist. The giving of thanks. Hallelujah. God, right now, as we 
are receiving these elements, before we take them, work in our hearts. Remove entitlement. Remove ingratitude. Remove greed. Right now, just as it's being passed around, just bow your head and close your eyes. Talk to the Lord. Say, remove greed from me. Remove entitlement. Take me into the realm of gratefulness, of thankfulness. At every place where I've begun to feel like I'm entitled to something that I'm not getting, heal me, Lord. Heal me, Lord. Set me free. Forgive me, Lord. Come on, just begin to talk to him right now. Talk to him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The giving of thanks. The giving of thanks. Grateful heart. Give us grateful hearts. forgotten how to give thanks. Give us grateful hearts. Some of us have some bitterness we need to just release right now. You know there's a difference between bitterness and frustration. It's okay to be frustrated as long as you don't become bitter. Frustration is situational. Become frustrated with the situation. Bitterness is personal. You become bitter at a person. You can be frustrated with the situation without becoming bitter at the person who caused that situation. What you do with that frustration, though, is you bring it to the Lord. And you can give thanks to God even in the midst of that frustration because you know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who are the called according to his purpose. That God is using even this frustrating situation. God, you're using it for my good give you thanks. Lift up this portion of bread. Father, we thank you for the broken body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, even if there's somebody here who has absolutely nothing else to thank you for, even if everything went wrong in my life, this one thing has gone right on my behalf. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you for the broken body of our Lord. And this is not a cracker. But this is your body, which is broken for us. We do this with hearts filled with thanksgiving in remembrance of you. You may partake.
let us lift up this cup Lord we thank you for the cup of salvation and we say that this is your body this is your blood which was shed for us we do this in remembrance of you thank you for giving your life that we might live we are truly grateful to you we give you thanks and in your name we pray amen you may partake let's all stand your hands to the Lord. I bless you with the blessings of the Lord today. With the blessings of wisdom, knowledge, and with all of the riches of complete understanding. With encouragement, forgiveness, with great grace, and peace that passes all understanding. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.